So Sema, what are your thoughts around terminology and FGM? How should we approach terminology in the UK and should we change our approach when speaking with different communities or individuals? Absolutely. I think terminology is really important, especially for survivors. Actually, when I attend so many FGM events or meetings, I get really annoyed and I get really upset, even though I'm not an FGM survivor. It really upsets me when people refer to FGM survivors as victims, for example. Um, you know, just because they, are, they have been subjected to FGM, I think what a lot of the media representatives, organization leaders, or people working on FGM, when they refer to a survivor as a victim, it takes away their power and it makes them look like, you know, the survivors need our voice, survivors need our support. And that's not the case at all. You've met Hoda, Hoda can speak for herself. Everyone has um, their own stories to tell. And what we do at the Avengers is we always refer to survivors as survivors, not victims. You will never see us use it on our social media, on our website or at our events. So that's the first part. Um, and the second part is we try to step away from practicing when we, you know, in our documents, on our websites, on social media. Because um, when we use the word practice and practicing communities, it, it creates that us and them culture and it makes it sound like it's a medical procedure. So we always say performing FGM or just refer to it as FGM, people who are subjected to FGM, rather than saying, you know, practice and we're practicing this, this is part of culture, this is part of religion. It's not at all. And that's one of the things that we want to change. We always say it's not part of any religion, it's not part of any culture. It's something that has been done for many years to oppress women. So, Hoda, what do you think the best approaches to ending FGM are and who do you think are the key people in making change possible within communities? So the best approach of ending FGM is basically what we're doing right now. Because if you think about it, how many people is going to listen to this podcast and how many people is going to be educated? And that takes, my, yeah. takes me back to education because education is a powerful tool. It is one of the most powerful. I don't think there's anything else more powerful. And I'm not talking about education, academic education as well. It's education in life. If you don't know how to talk to people, if you don't know how to come down to people's level to understand where they're coming from or what they have gone through and what advice can I give them, what can I actually offer for this person, that's part of education. We just think about education, it's like, you know, how many masters or what university yeah. that you went yeah. now. There's the that's education so in life that we really, really need. So by adding FGM, one of the key things that I always say, and it always works for me as well as, as somebody who have gone through the procedures, is to actually, is, and, and to provide safe space for these yeah. young women, for these ladies, because when you look women who are affected by FGM, it's not just FGM they are affected. They are affected because they might be refugees, you know. How did they get here from where they come from, being a refugee? How did they survive the route to take to be here in, in, in this country? So there's so many different things underlined. So we need to find out what these women need. And by asking what they need is providing for safety space, providing knowledge, like what we want to do with the Fevinches, like do pop-up and, 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 and hubs so women can come and tell you what they need. And then we go back and we provide that. Not just to come and, you know, say, because I remember there's a lot of organizations that you will go and say, we're going to do a lot of work in Africa. Okay, Africa needs a lot of things. What is it? Oh, no, we're going to go and end FGM. Okay, so how you end in FGM? Then they go to the people and they will look at you in the eye and they say, right, so we are here to give you some money and educate you and this is what you need to do, A, B and C. No, this is not what I need to do. Excuse me, you came to my country, first of all. Who are you? 
right? Who are you? Why are you here? And first of all, you need to ask me what I need, not you telling me what I need. Yeah. And that is where charities and it's that uh, we're going wrong. That is one of the reasons it really has gone wrong because this woman need other stuff. How would you go to a community, a real little rural area in Africa practice FGM and say to them, sorry, perform FGM because following what Summer said, mm -hmm. I want everybody to really think about the terminology as well. Yeah. I have been using this for so long yeah. that I now as an educator have to educate myself as well with the terminology. So always please, think about that but you will go a very small village in, in in somewhere in africa they don't have water they don't have toilets they don't eat every day they don't have anything to eat so how can you talk about where people don't even have water to clean to drink they don't have clean sanitary sanitization in anywhere they don't have food to eat so what makes you think they're going to hear you about fgm what makes you think when you came on this airplane and said, we are adding FGM in Africa? No, you're not going to add FGM because somebody who don't even have a period pad, right? Cannot going to be thinking about, yeah, I want you. So we need to really ask communities, what do you need? And then provide based on that need. Mm -hmm. If they don't have a water, I will say, let me find out the water first. Then before we can talk about health and we can talk about education. So that is really important. Now, within the community, they have a, a lot of saying as well. So they have to realize this is part of their, um, and what's the word I'm looking for? Part of their responsibility as well. So within the community that with the adults have to as well sit down and talk to each other, to say to each other, what are we providing for our young people? How are we empowering? But this work, it comes down to us. A lot of people are running from war. A lot of people are going through psychological effects. We here need to provide a safe space where we can ask women and girls what they need, find out their problems, and we can refer them to the right places. That is one of the main things that we can do within the community to really end FGM. And safe space, as you ladies know, is a very, very big deal. We need to make sure and yeah. one of those as well is the country like we are living one of the richest country what are our government doing you know yeah. we are all sitting here and yeah. each of one of us are not getting paid what we do you know we all came from this morning we woke up we said we need to do this because the world need it we need to do this because women and girls who are, are somewhere who are not that need to listen to what we are discussing today but what is actually our government doing we're talking about fighting against women and girls. They, uh, when they first find out the project that I do in schools, it was like, well done, this is amazing order. We're gonna find them. It's nearly six years. The project is coming to an end next year in July. After July next year, this project is done. So who is going to advocate these schools? Who's going to do the same job yeah. I've been doing with the parents, with the teachers, with the yeah. children? The lessons have been set up. We do. We have our own lessons. They don't have to do anything, but we need them to come and support these schools. Provide the funding, because life is not free, eh? <laughs> yeah. Right? Exactly. I have worked over 15 years for free. I refuse to work for free anymore. I have bills to pay, honey. Yeah? I have family to feed as well. So as a survivor now, I have, I, I taken my time and just, my, I'm taking yeah. my steps to say, listen, just like Simon said earlier, it's not my responsibility to educate you. It's not my responsibility to be invited to House of Parliament or House of Commons to talk about my experience in order for the law to be changed. Yes, yeah. we did it and we did it for free. Yeah. When I've been asked to come and attend those big conferences, none of them paid for my train, let alone to pay for my water. 
So we did this work and we did it because the, we understand that what is needed, but we cannot end this by ourselves and we cannot end this without the funding and the support we need from the government. So let us say this, the British, you, the government, you need to get your ass up and do the work need to be done. We are doing the work for you, but right now it is about talking to you and you taking those steps to do it. Otherwise, I have a big mouth, which is, I will name people. <laughs> And um, Sama, so I do believe that prosecution is the main way to resolve FGM and gender-based violence. Um, no, not at all, because prosecution, if you're talking about prosecuting every single parent um, that subjected their children to FGM, you're talking about an estimated number, and very unreliable number of 200 million people. You would have to lock up everyone across the world. Of course, I, I am a firm you know, supporter of the mandatory reporting duty, and within our workshops, if we come across anything, we will report it so that you know we can protect girls. Um, however, if you were to just prosecute people, that's not the end of the solution. It's not realistic. It's not you know something that's you know sustainable. Um, and I think the best way of approaching is our way of approach and the other grassroots organisa organizations' mm -hmm. approach. What we do is we offer a package solution. We do not name and shame. You can come to our support hubs, you can you know, talk about your other issues, your mental health issues, your problems in the household, anything that you might be facing as an individual, as a person. We're not labelling people FGM survivor at risk of people and saying, packaging them that they have the same problems because everyone can have different problems. And that's one of the reasons why at our support hubs we do not question household income, for example, or their visa status. So someone could come from a 100k household we don't know if they have access to their finances and um, we don't know if they are being subjected to gender-based violence or FGM and time and time again and there's no time limit on visiting our support hubs they can visit it as long as they need it as long as we have the support available and along the line they will along the journey find out what they need they will figure it out for themselves and ask for help and we will do whatever we can to refer make referrals we will do whatever we can to amplify their voices, create opportunities and platforms, but never speak on their behalf. And I think with this approach, there's a lot of prevention work because we do not want people ending up in prison just because they haven't had this conversation before. And within yeah. a lot of families who had FGM or who are subjecting to gender-based violence, it tends to be that you know they've never talked about it. I, I know from my own experience that you're not allowed to talk about gender-based violence because even if you do, because so many people are involved, it's your aunts, it's your uncles, it's your parents, there is sometimes no trusted adult, or maybe there are some trusted adults, but you know, not with power to do anything. So in my case, it was my mom. She you know, had the autonomy, she had the power to continue sending us to school and keeping us away from child marriage. But again, if she was to die, I would not be sitting here. And when we talk about this, then you would have to present my entire family apart from my mom. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it comes with a package approach and it's, yeah. it comes with not having that us and them culture because FGM, gender-based violence, again, to highlight, it's everyone's concern. And a lot of the prosecution um, officials, you know, whether the police or government officials, they need to understand that this is not us and them issue. This is not their issue, it's our concern one girl's safety is all of our concern and they need to approach families with a bit of empathy and they need to lead them to organizations like us they need to fund organizations like us so that we can create more and more safe spaces where we can talk about things without you know cameras recording without them you know being risked of pr being present without them being you know 
named and shamed. Yeah, so addressing things structurally more than mm -hmm. just the point of the iceberg and then you leave everything that's underneath behind if you if you just focus on that little bit that you're seeing is there's so much to unpack. Yeah, so Hoda, what would you say is the role of the healthcare system in helping to end FGM? Um, a role of healthcare system, as I said before, is duty of care. That's the first thing. As a health a healthcare profession, you have a duty of care. To your patients regardless of their color their beliefs their sexual orientation uh, but when it comes to fgm fgm is just the same this is the thing as well we do safeguarding training every year if you're a teacher if you're a health anybody who works in a public you have to make sure you do your mandatory safeguarding once a year then you have your DPS check, right? So you have your police check because you have to make sure you are actually safe, human is safe, who can work with children and vulnerable adults. So that is one of the things that we do. But where's the FGM education? So this is where it comes different and we are only focusing on FGM because when you are help, if you are, and those of you who are listening today, please check when you do your mandatory training once a year, what is in it. So. The main thing is that if you don't have that training that you do, then it's not there. So what, what you need to do as a healthcare profession is to put things in place, yeah. is to make sure your mandatory training have at least an hour and a half of FGM training within your safeguarding training, because you cannot cover FGM within your staff, within your department, within the, in half an hour. Yeah. Just that's not possible. That's not real and that's not realistic. Um, and the other thing we can do is by, by actually doing that, and by empowering yourself, by getting the education, then you can talk to your patients how you would like to be talked to them without being scared and say, oh, I can't really ask that because FGM is, is sensitive, it's someone else's culture, and that still happens sadly. So what we need is this, the healthcare professional to empower yourself, do your research, do your homework, mm. do your training, make sure that if you're taking someone's history, like you say you're the gynecologist or sexual health or, you know, urologist or anything, you'll be asking, uh, even sexual health clinic, you're asking these questions. So make sure you ask these questions with the same way you will ask, you know, how long have you had this pain? Show me where the pain is, right? The, the, you're asking this, so it's very important. You, you, you put that within your questionnaire so it becomes easier, better. And especially if you have new staff, because as you know, NHS, you will get junior doctors every three months. Yeah. So now that junior doctor will come into the sexual health clinic, they see this patient, they have no idea what to do. So this is why that is not their fault, they don't know. But if that department had everything in place, that junior doctor will feel so much better by asking those questions. Secondly, when you go into our, uh, our doctor's room, they always have language line, right? So they have phone numbers, so if you can't speak the language, they can dial this number, boom, you've got a language line. They, they should be having all of the things they need, information they need for INFGM. So if the survivor comes, they say, I need referral. You will have all your clinical, because we have 11 clinics in London alone. We, how many doctors know that? They don't. Mm -hmm. So you should be having those information around you in, in your yeah. office room. You should be having an, uh, numbers where you can call somebody. So like Dalia Project, what did they do? They, they help women psychologically. That was the only 
clinic in whole of Europe helps women psychologically and gives them free counseling, right? And paid for their children as well to have, um, and what was the word I was looking at? Uh, you know, if they need a childcare, they pay yeah. for that, but that's the only clinic whole of Europe. Wow. And that London is only in East London. So if women from Northwest London have to still travel to go there. Yeah. So yeah. these small things, we need to put, make sure it is still available within our healthcare system. It doesn't have to be in a special place you call, but you still have those places as well if you need it for a longer term. Because the FGM clinic can do the deinfibrillation. They can provide uh, appointments without needing them to wait for a long time. They can provide an, an, a, 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 a language in, in translating. So this is a lot. Those are the things. It is, it, sometimes it looks a lot, but it's not really. If yeah. we put implement this changes within our department, we can really help and support a lot more women and girls, empower and educate ourselves, and then we can provide that within our society and communities around us. Yeah, I think it's yeah so important to have those kind of clear protocols for staff, like you say, so when you have new junior doctors or if you're in like a healthcare setting, especially in Perfect, things yeah. where you have high turnover of staff, even within care and things like that, having those clear protocols so when they come <coughs> in they know. Yeah. kind of what to do because um, I think people do find it quite difficult to it seems like still now doctors and some nurses and things like that are still finding it difficult to ask the question mm -hmm. around it um, even just domestic abuse in general let alone asking about FGM um, and so I guess that kind of moves on to the next question so yeah um, when and how would you say healthcare professionals should or shouldn't be asking the question around FGM and what would you say the best approach is uh, if you think you should ask the question, you should ask the question. Like it should yeah. really be, it shouldn't be something we think about. If mm -hmm. you are here and I said I came to you as a doctor and I'm asking, asking you, I need help. Mm -hmm. You know, I need help. I need support. You ask me my history, so you straight away you're gonna know. Hoda is yeah, she need a gynecology. She's a survivor of FGM. You know, so we should really, really shouldn't be asking ourselves questions like that. Just go ahead and provide the help and support the patient needs. It's not about it's the patient, but at the same time, if you are working in a department, you don't have things like that. It's your duty to go back to the department manager, to the safeguarding lead, and say, why don't we have these things in place? We need this. So that mm. is one of, for me, it's not actually something we should be questioning, it's something need to be done. Mm. Yeah. Would you add anything to that, Summer? Yeah, I mean, anyone can lead change. And it's, it's a very essential question, like, have you had your jabs? If we are questioning that because it's very vital to the care of the person as a healthcare professional, have you had FGM is just as essential as have you had your jabs question. Yeah. And when you ask that, then you can pro provide a, a, a more bespoke and personalized healthcare, which might be different for each person they are seeing. So absolutely, they need to ask it, but without traumatizing people. So um, a lot of the healthcare professionals, so many of them actually said that they were only asking the question if they came across Somalian woman, for example, and that is, you know, racially targeting and abusing yeah. patients. And without knowing they're actually doing that, they think they have good intentions. But that's why with the One Question campaign, we want every single woman who visits an hospital to, to be asked this question, you know, who goes to a GP when registering. So it's not traumatizing. You just fill in your form and so have you had your, you know, jabs? Have you ever had serious conditions? You know, especially if you're arriving from abroad, it's very important that they include it in these questionnaires because then you get it from, you know, the first point of arrival and you don't have to re-traumatize really women asking this question over and over. Yeah. 
Um, how do you think we can increase awareness and appropriate signposting to support within health? Mm, how we can, again, I think communication and education, talking. I am really, really big believer of talk about things that bothers mm. you. Talk about what you're happy about in life. Talk about what really, this is the best way to really, really end all of these you know, violence against women and girls, children being mistreated, children being abused, is just educate, you know, go yeah. out there and talk about it and educate each other. And no matter how hard, because sometimes these questions can be hard. They are yeah. hard, why? Because we don't talk about it. Yeah. Why is it hard? Because we never made it as normal conversation to talk about issues, especially yeah. affects women and girls. This is not a special lesson we need. You don't need a special lesson. You don't need a special university to go and to learn these things. These are really a humanitarian stuff we should know as a human being. Yeah. So that is one of the important things is to always educate yourself and always speak up. Share your thoughts, yeah. share your worries. If you are worried, let's say if you are my doctor and you are worried something, it's okay to ask. You know, or even go and ask your colleague. It's not, you don't have to stay in the room with me, you know, when you know you can't really help me. Go outside and one of my, your colleague next door might actually say, you know what, you need to send this person to the gynecologist. Maybe the, or maybe you need to send this. Sometimes knowledge is the power. And if you don't have that knowledge, it's, don't be embarrassed to go and get the knowledge, you know. Yeah. Mm. So for me, that's really is one of my biggest, biggest in, in way of always talking about is educating yourself and making making those conversations like really mm. normal by talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Sama, so do you think inequalities within the UK impact on how FGM is approached? Absolutely. Um, so majority of the women we support, again, not to label that they can face issues such as refugees, asylum seeking, um, and I think our work around refugees and asylum seekers is that they are very isolated. When they are isolated, the you know the public, members of the public in the UK, there is a certain I think they are maybe worried if they get in touch with asylum seekers or refugees, they build close contact or friendship with them. Um, so many of the people actually express their concerns around, well, is it illegal if I know someone has paperwork or not and I'm talking to them, becoming friends, you know, building that friendship. And I think the media has a huge responsibility around that because we are being scared of asylum seekers. We are being scared of refugees. Um, and yeah. Choose Lab, one of our funders, is doing an incredible work on informing people very well. So if you want to be informed well, go on their Instagram, go on their social media pages, website, and really understand what you know refugees and asylum seekers are facing. And when we go to our, you know, when we meet with community members um, who are refugees and asylum seekers, because they are being faced, you know, they're facing so many inequalities. They don't have access to healthcare. You know, they don't have access to public benefits. You know, if they were to apply for their visa, then, you know, they go through the system and it's a long time. Sometimes it can be years, you know, and they are always facing, you know, homelessness. If they don't have anyone, they don't know anyone. It's that actually interesting. The last hub um, data analysis pointed out that the 100 percent of the people who filled out our survey said they were either facing homelessness or they were at risk of homelessness. And that says a lot. And the rest said, mm -hmm. you know, they again, over 90 percent of the attendees said, um, they needed baby nappies, baby products, baby food. They needed a safe space, shelter. They needed food support, especially mothers are really struggling. And these are very serious inequalities we're talking about. And when you're talking about all these, how can FGM be your first 
priority or other forms of gender-based violence because you're just surviving the day and if the members of the public who have access to safety you know let's say the middle class as we refer in the uk if they actually had the knowledge of what people are going through then mm -hmm. they wouldn't you know other them too much and have a better yeah. understanding and think you know oh, okay fgm is not really our concern it's not really our issue it's these people doing it and if they stop thinking like that and wording it like this it, it couldn't be it wouldn't be this damaging to the people actually who are going through all these things and again government organizations like us everyone every single member of the public has a responsibility to speak up if you have a mouth you can speak you speak up if you can write write you know share your thoughts share your feelings and if you're not educated there are incredible platforms including ours where you can go online and get educated yeah yeah and i know um as well you mentioned before about kind of avengers training programs and things like that mm. um i was just wondering what kind of impact you hope these will have training programs I think each session will be very life, you know, it, it will be transformational for people attending because we have seen in the ones that we have done so far, every single person who've attended said, wow, you know, I, I have never been in an educational session like this. It wasn't boring. I didn't feel like I had to sit through it. It was very engaging. And we include an hour of question and answer um, session. And that means that, you know, no stupid questions. We're not shaming people. We're all here to learn. We're all here, here to share. And you can ask any question you like if you feel comfortable. And if not, there will be opportunities where we create, you know, you can just pop it in the question box if it's online or if it's in person, then again, there will be a physical box where people can pop in the question. Um, and when people are learning without being shamed, I think that will bring a lot of good understanding of what FGM and also gender-based violence is because we are also including other forms of violence like forced marriage, child marriage, you know, and these are the important issues that we need to talk about. And so many attendees who've been through our sessions said they've actually never had a conversation um, around gender-based violence. So maybe they will go back to their households, to their workplaces, and they will start these conversations, which is exactly what we need. And by targeting everyone, not just healthcare professionals or government officials, we're actually, we want to train everyone. We want to train, I don't know, moms at, or parents um, at baby shower parties, you know, they can book us for any occasion and we are happy to just go there and have a very nice conversation around FGM and gender-based violence when they will feel, wow, you know, I'm very much informed, I know exactly what I need to do, I have my homework, so I will look after myself and everyone around me. Thank you. And um, Hoda, how do you think young women and girls can have the agency to make change within their communities? Um, you know, I always say there's a lot of words I'll be using over and over again. And, and again, this is something I always say. I mean, empowering young women, giving them a platform to use their voice, to actually share what their worry is. What are they happy on this world? What would they like to change? That is really, really important. We can't always speak up for our future generation. That is their voice. They need to use that voice for themselves. What we could do for the future generation is to provide a space where they can learn, where they can talk, and where they can learn to especially use their voice. Um, role model is a big deal to me because if you don't see somebody like you up there that was doing different or survives certain things, you won't think in the same way that if you're having 
uh, if a young person, young girl is going through a hardship right now, she never sees somebody up there who's like her first same language or grow up the shape, she would never go into see a way out, right? So that's what we need. Role model is very, very important. I always say this to Mabel when I met, met Mabel. Um, so Mabel is the other co-founder of the Vivinges. And when I met Mabel, she was 17 year old, you know, who's just learning about the world and how things yeah. are going and looking at now look the Vivinches were born from the back of that and we raised money for the first anti-FGM billboard in Europe not just in London in Europe mm -hmm. it was put it was around Heathrow Airport South Hall yeah. and Greenford so people if they're driving through the airport to the airport they can see that was a way of raising awareness right yeah so in in, in that way so when I met Mabel and we're doing this sometimes I look at her now and I'm like I wish I had me when I was that age, you know, the 10 year old Hoda growing up, the 11 year old Hoda who's in hospital, who just become a refugee in this country that she's in, you know? So it is very important we do that. That is the way to go about it. That is the best way to go about it. Education, of course, can connect to that as well, because as you know, there's a saying I will always say, but I might be saying the other way around, is from um, Malala, that amazing young lady, and Malala used to from Pakistan, who was in, you know, was shot by Taliban because she was going to school, because her mom and dad said, we are making sure our child, our daughters learn how to read and write. But there's a saying when on high speech, and when she did the UN, I think it's one pen, no, it says, yeah, it says one pen, one book, one child, one teacher can change the world. Yeah. I might be saying it differently, but it's all of those four, work, four words. So one pen, one yeah. book, one child, one teacher. Yeah. We know that's powerful. We know that can change children around the world. That can empower children. So that is what we really need. And that's for me as a survivor, as a somebody who came through all of this hardship that were in front of me, who came out the other side, because I'm happy who I am. I enjoy who I am and I enjoy chasing politicians around <laughs> the world to change. But then again, I was given that platform. Yeah. yeah. You know, so if we need that, we need to empower young women and young people, even boys, we need to teach boys how to, they need to respect these, the women. Mm -hmm. That's some of the work I do. It's not just with girls. I work with boys. Yeah. When I'm doing my FGM lessons, it's not just for girls because what yeah. good will that be? So when I'm talking about the boys and I would say, so boys, you know that FGM only happens to girls. Why am I talking to you about this? You know, the first thing I remember last week, one of the boys said, because miss, I don't know if it must be my mom. It could be my mom, it could be my sister. I need to speak up for them. There's another boy who said, we need to know that, miss, because remember article number two and the rights of a child say it doesn't matter if you are a boy or a girl. If it, it, so this article says it doesn't matter if you are a boy or a girl, if you are rich or poor, if you have religion or not, if you have disability or not, if you are from, if you're white or black, if you are a boy or girl, each and every single child under the age of 18 have these rights. So when I'm asking the boys, why am I educating you about FGM? That's the article they go back to because they say, Miss, it doesn't matter if it's boy or a girl, every child should be educated. And Miss, do you remember the pants rule? PC privates are private. Nobody's supposed to be looking or touching girls' private part. So yeah. by be educating children, they already know. It's just guiding them to the right place. Mm -hmm. So think about as well, when we talk about violence against women and girls, we're not just talking about talking to the women and girls. We need to talk about as a community, we need to talk about the boys, we need to educate boys how to respect girls. You know, because like I said, that's their sister, their mother, their, their best friend could be a girl. So we need to really make sure we empower boys as well to make sure that they are 
children who are growing up who need to be guided as well. So we always need to make sure of that. Yeah, so you believe that education is a key resource for young women, girls and, and young boys as well to end FGM as a, as mm. a performance? We can only end FGM if we're all together. Yeah. FGM is a worldwide issue. FGM is just doesn't happen to Africa. FGM happens in America. Yeah, it happens in Mexico. Yeah. It happens in Colombia. It happened in Peru. There is actually a documentary um, that I find we find out not long ago, and it's called The Cut. No, not The Cut. It's called Cut, exposing FGM worldwide. And you actually see this man traveling around the world. And when you see these small little villages in Peru, in Colombia, and you're like, why am I in 2022? And I have never seen that because we never been, we never mm -hmm. seen, nobody think that it happens over there. So mm -hmm. that means that we're not providing help or support to these communities that we don't think it happens to. Yeah. Malaysia, the Bohorum yeah. community from yeah. India, in Russia. So FGM is not an African issue, it's a worldwide yeah. issue. And we need to really treat it as such, that it's a child abuse, and treat it that we can stop and change it and empower our future generations. Each and one of us have a voice. Sure. Sandra, do you think economic independence and FGM and gender-based violence as well are related? And following on from that as well, how can young women's economic independence be ensured? Um, yeah, I'm sure. When we talk about economic independence, I think it's always important to remember that there are so many women educated, working, however, they don't really have access to their own money or their household's money. So many women refer to themselves or men refer to them as homemakers and they think, you know, that's their job and they shouldn't get paid for their time and their labour. Um, so I think when girls get educated, obviously it opens a gate, it opens this doors to them and then later on if they can work and they can have their own money but also access to their own money then they can have choices unfortunately money makes the world go round and when you have money you have a bit more choices mm. and when you have choices then you can make more you know well informed decisions but it goes like half half i would say because i have seen many situations including one of my sisters where she's you know well educated but hasn't really got access to her own money or doesn't even own a bank account. Um, so when you think about that, half the part is having access to your own money, having financial and economic independence, but the halfway is also to ensure that we are empowering, we're creating empower empowering spaces for women and girls to have their you know well-being to make healthy decisions informed decisions and not to think oh maybe you know the rest of the world is suffering so many women are suffering like Hoda said when you're going through something you think it's, it's it's what's supposed to happen to women right and i think by thinking that as women we're actually damaging you know the cause and if we think whatever we think you know whatever we believe we deserve is what we should get and just go after it no matter what and then we can ensure you know quite a lot of healthy decisions for ourselves and other people as well for young people i would say to give an example um i was forced to work as a child in from very young ages and i had i never had access to my own money <laughs> never had a children's bank account never mind it i had never held the money i worked mm -hmm. for yeah. so i think to create bank accounts banking for children you know there are so many companies that, but they should be globally available not just in a few you know wealthy countries the children should absolutely have access to to money. There, there should be budgets created by parents, you know, allocated to children, whatever it is. 
And like Hoda said, when we talk about poverty in some places, we're talking about children not even having access to food, having access to clothing of their own. I don't believe I ever wore the clothing that was actually bought for me until I was like probably 17, 18. Um, and we are talking about, you know, having access to a safe roof, you know, having access to a safe household, yeah. Um, yeah. water, cleaning items. And I think if as organizations, governments, the leaders, you know, all these companies having so many, so much money and if, if they don't know what to do with it, if you're a tech company, for example, what you can do is you can create online educational programs where you teach people, you know, kids language skills, where you teach kids how to code, for example, and they do their part. And if each company in each area did their part, if you're a cleaning company, then look out where people don't have access to clean water. Look out where people don't have access to, you know, hygiene items. If you're a medical company, then really look out where people don't have access to medicine and they really die from very simple issues that could have been resolved with a few days of taking some medication. And I think when we say everyone has a part to play, this is what we mean. Everyone, don't for a second think, okay, I don't know what I, what I could do in, in this you know, mm. fight of ending FGM and gender-based violence. Whoever you are, there is a rule for you. Yeah, yeah. And um, Hoda, in situations where FGM and economic independence aren't related, what do you think are the key factors influencing it? The key fact is, again, is I will never say it enough by talking. You know, that, that, mm. is, that is something that really is the most powerful tool we have, you know, to, to use and to be really loud and stuff. But I'll give you an example as well of what, how it's so important. And again, it is connects, you know, the community coming out and supporting each other, women supporting other women, because like I said, it's, you know these women who are doing the cutting that's how they feed their families you know so by coming and saying what can we do you know we need to end this we know this is your job and not to criminalize them because to them they don't know any better right this woman has got this job inherited from their mothers from their great great mothers within those communities they don't think they're doing anything wrong yeah but by that, you know, providing something also they can feed their family that's one of the things but I'll give you an a, 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 a couple of years ago, I think it was 2019, there's an organization called Orchid Project. So it's an actually an organization, it's an FGM charity, works on a lot of work in Africa, but they support a lot of survivors like us who actually work in this field. Mm -hmm. And they sent me to go to Senegal to do this place called Tostan Training. So a lot of us from international, different backgrounds, some people from Somalia, some people from America, France. We were the, so I was the only one from the UK. And we went to the, and this place is like really learning of, you know, the rest of the world. How do we actually empower each other? How do we actually advocate for each other? So in this training, it was learning that, and it was really amazing. It was everything to do with human rights training as well. So understanding the depth of what actually human rights is, but, the people that was coming to us, teaching us and doing the talk as well, with the people from the community, the people from the actual community, yeah. right? Yeah. So now this, I went to, I visited the village and this village, they, it was, they did arranged marriage. I mean, a young child marriage, right? Yeah. They did FGM and everything. It's been 15 years since they caught a child in that. They stopped it. 
a day totally stopped. It wasn't from the outside world. It wasn't from because we came from the UK and, you know, the, one of the richest yeah. countries and we came to the... No, they did it by themselves. So mm -hmm. women started asking, what do we need? Because what we're doing to ourselves is hurting us. What we're doing to ourselves is not doing us any favor. Our children are dying. What do we do? So now this woman, Tostan Training, provided a training for them. So this woman can't read, they can't write. Mm -hmm. But they become the teachers in, their less, in, in, their, in, in that community. So they will go and run to the, the different village and talk about the harm that FGM does and what they experience themselves. They go and speak to the, the mosque leader, which his sister actually died of FGM, but they, nobody wanted to talk about. So sometimes by starting, provoking, by starting the conversation is what leads to us empowering our children and actually having a world that is free from FGM. And that community now, they haven't cut girls from over well, 20 years now, right, nearly 20 years, the women who were advocating against FGM end up going to India and actually becoming a solar engineers. So that community have electricity, they have schools, the girls go and they come back and they don't know what cutting is. Mm -hmm. They never experienced that because these women who couldn't read and write say, there's something we can do. And now they have electricity too. So some of the girls I met are just like you two. They do podcasts, they do radio in their little villages because auntie next door just came back from India and she's the solar engineer. This woman can't read or write either, but guess what? They educate them, they, they actually teach them in colors. So they will know yellow means that, black means that, green means that. And this wow. woman will go around. So each by village, village by village now, they're getting more electricity. When she finishes with this one, she goes there. And within that, there's an education. Why are we harming ourselves? FGM is against the law. So you have to really figure out what is needed and go yeah. about it. So that is how economic mm -hmm. side of it, uh, the community side of it, and women on women as well, because it's very important. Women see other women empowering them and saying to them, if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. This, this next question is for both of us. And we, want, we were wondering, what is your opinion on the role of the media as a resource for women and girls to advocate for a change within their communities? And what are the main challenges for the media to reach women and girls? Um, Media plays a huge role in ending FGM and gender-based violence because it gives a platform to women and girls to think. Like I said before, oh, okay, I'm not the only one going through this. But also it makes you think maybe this is not what's supposed to happen to girls and women just because of our gender. And I think media needs to stop, for example, door-knocking type interviews mm -hmm. where they go to a neighbourhood they feel like there will be FGM or gender-based violence and then really traumatise yeah. people. I think they need to find better and effective ways of interviewing mm. candidates, for example. And for that, the most powerful way is mm. organize, you know, collaborating with organizations like us. We have so many people who want to talk about their experiences and we will only put forward the people who are ready to talk, who have you know, that empowerment. And they feel like they want to share their stories, so not to secondhand traumatize people. Yeah. And when talking about survivors, again, media should always refer to people as survivors because they are surviving another day of this abuse. They're not victims. When you victimize people, we're marginalizing them. Yeah. And yeah. I think the most effective way is actually creating films. When you create films, real stories of real people, then people can resonate with that. And people can think, okay, you know, there are people like me. And representation also matters. 
So a good equal representational media, not just a few people yeah. that, you know, people go over and over again. And one of the mistakes that the UK media especially does is, you know, okay, we want to talk about racism, a news channel, and they go to the same person to talk about racism, as if that person is the racism ambassador in the whole world. And there are so many people, when representing different people, different stories, then you're reaching out to different children out there, you know, different women out there. They can look and listen and different men and they can just say, okay, I find a bit of myself in this person. I feel represented and that really matters. Our co-founder, Mabel, she's not here today, but she creates impactful, amazing movies that takes you into the issue and as if you are there, as if you're that person going through the things. And I think we need more Mabels, you know, around creating films and reflecting stories. Yeah, sure. For sure. We also were wondering if you could tell us a bit more about your own personal um, campaigns and awareness raising and what impact have you seen this have? So, for instance, the movies that you were mentioning previously. Um, so, Alistair, um, the impact, I mean, the impact is why we are here today. So, yeah. um, one of the first thing is it is always hard, personally. I would say that um, it's not easy to talk about your life story to the whole world, let alone to talk about something that's really private. Um, yeah. So it, it's not, it's, it wasn't just I woke up one day and I said, I'm going to do this. I did <laughs> yeah, it because yeah. of the experiences that I have experienced within, for me as Hoda with my health, not being able to have children because FGM denied me having a children on my own, you know, because all the operations that I had when I was a little girl, with all the problems that came with it, um, I, I couldn't even have IVF because I had an IVF and I miscarried and um, I nearly died. You know, again, with all those operations yeah. and the adhesions that I had. So it is, it's not uh, easy to actually to be where we are, but actually mm -hmm. somebody have to do it, isn't it? So just like mm -hmm. we were talking about the media, if the media have a big, big steps to helping anybody, like, you know, it's not just violence against women and girls, but, but just any people who need help together right because you telling their stories and i'm saying that because i believe storytelling is a powerful thing um yeah. storytelling in somalia like we sit around and we used to hear how our grandparents used to go herd the camel and do that was storytelling you know it yeah. was how we knew about our culture how we knew how our ancestors lived and you know they didn't have electricity the light you know so that storytelling is really really powerful um, so that is one of the things about so, personally it's hard, but I would say anybody who's might be thinking about after hearing us here and say, you know, this always happened to me or always happened to somebody I know it's not fair, but how do I do it is that you are, you're, don't ever question your voice because your voice is the most powerful tool in the whole world. Like once you have your voice and you use your voice, you won't believe how far it goes. But at the same yeah. time, that remember there's always people who love you, there's always people who are around you who will help and support you. So before you do that, seek advice. Like 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 someone said, like there's so many organizations. When in my time I was talking about FGM, I didn't have anywhere to go to. I couldn't go on Twitter, it didn't exist. Yeah. I couldn't, you know, read on in organizations like that. It was my best friend Leila that I would say, what is this and what is that? And with her guidance. Then that is, and then I met okay, then all these other organizations who are supporting us. It's really important that your own, your own space, take your time mm -hmm. yeah. and get 
speak about it and then go out there and, 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 and do what you say that you believe. When we talk, when we say campaigning, campaigning can be so many different things. It means yeah. so many different things to people. So if they say story, this is what I would always say, if there's something, mm -hmm. that is story that is so close to your heart that you know that by adding to your voice can change something, then do it. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead, take that first step, no matter how hard it is. And always remember these people are here somewhere that who can help and support you. I'm glad that we have social media where we can send messages and, you know, um, and, and, and talk to each other, even if somebody mm -hmm. far away from you. So take that advantage, but always remember you're not alone. And it's not the easy step to take. It will take a while, but just keep on pushing. Yes, thank you so much. And the last question would be like, what does having an intersectional approach mean to you and for Avengers as well? Um, yeah, so I think that comes down to, again, a very inclusive, um, collective approach to feminism and what we do at the Avengers. Um, even within the same neighborhoods, within the same country, the problems that women are facing or girls are facing might be so different. Um, in a household, yes. you know, I've read it in one of the books that um, an Egyptian um, lady who runs a household and has so many cleaners had so many issues of herself and she thought it was the end of the world. But then the cleaners that came into the house also had their own issues. They were different, but, you know, there are different issues, but still they are struggling. And yeah. I think it's important to remember that we shouldn't talk about other people's experiences or other people on their behalf um, and we shouldn't victimize them. We should always create powerful, empowering platforms, safe spaces where women and girls can come in and talk for their own experiences. And in some cases, if we have to speak on their behalf because they don't have the platform, then it's important to bring survivors, I think. And that's what we do in the Avengers. You know, at the Avengers, we always have survivor-led approach where we talk about these issues. Um, yeah you know, from our own experience. And that's very important because, again, representation matters. Thank you, thank you so, so much. much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That was the, yeah, thank you so much for coming here and talking to us about such important topics. And I hope that people listening to us resonate and are able to start these conversations that need to be happening and speak up even with the things will change as we speak up, but that's the whole point of speaking up, just creating mm -hmm. these conversations and mm -hmm. changing the world around us. So thank you very much. No, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I really wanted to say this. Thank you so much for having us because like we said, is that we can talk about this behind closed doors, but you know, you need that support and help to make your life voice to be heard a lot fair mm -hmm. and far away. And that's what you are all doing. So just remember each and one of us are doing something to to yeah. add, to add uh, this this horrible procedures that happens to women or oh, any violence against women. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for giving us the platform mm -hmm. and thank you for letting us speak what is closer to our hearts. And anybody who's out there listening, if they need help and support, please always help and support. And we are good at that getting back to messages as well. So anything you <laughs> want to talk about, yeah. there's nothing you cannot ask us. So if you need help, mm -hmm. support. If you want to ask us anything, don't shy away to ask mm -hmm. us. So thank you both of you for giving thank us this platform so today. Thank you so Thank much. You. <laughs> yeah.